Now, today we're in part four of our Wake Up series. And as we get started today, I want to tell you about a time that a friend of mine woke me up in a very alarming fashion. So a few years ago, a friend of mine and I were on a trip together and he was driving. I was in the passenger seat doing what I'm normally doing when I'm in the passenger seat. And that is sleeping. So if I'm not driving, I'm probably sleeping in the car. So I was asleep in the passenger seat and my friend saw on the road a semi cab hauling another semi cab, but it was backwards. Anybody seen one of those? Okay, so one's going forward, the other one's going backwards. So my friend sees that, he pulls behind that, and he touches his brakes enough for me to lean forward, wake up, he slams his hand across my chest and screams, ah! I wake up to this. All right, so, so just kinda get the feeling there. So I wake up and I think, Jesus, here we come. I'm about to die, and then he laughs. So my friend laughs, and I asked him to pull over so I could change my pants, because I'm pretty much sure I soiled my pants. Um, so that was an alarming way to wake up. Now, my friend and I are no longer friends, but here's how that applies to us. And I don't mean to sound alarmist or anything, but I do believe based upon what I read in scripture, I do believe that our world is headed for a head-on collision. It's, it's not a joke, it's not a prank, it's not a dream, it's a real thing. And as our world is headed towards destruction, and I think we see it out there, I think we see in our world just some crazy things happening that we've never seen before. Uh, we're seeing people do things and, and say things we've not seen before. We're seeing people say what's right is wrong, what's wrong is right. Our world like, has no sense of itself. We have no sense of direction right now is what it feels like. And you don't have to be a Christ follower to feel that way. Uh, I have some non-Christian friends who tell me often, this is not the world that I grew up in. So I think a lot of us feel that way. And as our world is headed towards this destruction, many of us, Christ followers included, were asleep in the front of our cars. Like we're asleep as we drive through life. We're not really paying attention. Or maybe we see what's happening, but we don't really know what to do. Or maybe some of us, if we're honest, we don't really care that much about what's happening in the world as long as it doesn't affect us. And so... If we don't wake up, spiritually speaking, our world is headed for a really bad place. And so we need to wake up. We need to wake other people up, spiritually speaking, so we can engage the world around us, I think, the way that Christ wants us to engage the world. And our theme verse for this series is based on something that the Apostle Paul said to a church in Rome, in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, when he said to them, challenged them, he said, wake up. He said, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. If you read the book of Romans, 
You'll see all throughout Romans, Paul challenges those Christ followers and us today to wake up, spiritually speaking, to wake up and understand what it really means to have a relationship with God and what it really means to live in that relationship in a way to impact the world around us. So we are trying to wake up spiritually and take the challenge that Paul has given to all of us. Now, like I said earlier, today is part four of our wake up series, but it's also part two of last week's message. Anybody remember what we talked about last week? Uh, saying uh-huh is not a right answer. Like say uh-huh and then tell us what it is. So we talked last week about God's armor. armor. Yes. And spiritual warfare. And so today is kind of like part two of part four of a six part series. And so if you're confused, that's okay because spiritual warfare is confusing. And if you're not a Christ follower, you might think, well, it's confusing and it's weird. I don't understand it. I get that. I understand. It is a little weird. Even if you are a Christ follower, you might feel like spiritual warfare is something you're not really equipped to engage. You don't know enough about it. And that's okay because we're learning about that in this series. So listen to what the Apostle Paul said that we learned last week in Ephesians chapter 6, starting verse 10. He said, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. I'm gonna pause there for a second. So I need you to remember, you're not fighting against your neighbors. You may have a neighbor that you don't get along with well right now, but you're not fighting with your neighbors. You may not be getting along well with your spouse, but your battle's not with your spouse. You may hate your boss, but your battle's not with your boss. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, even though it may feel like it, especially when somebody standing in front of us is popping a screw and they're angry at us and we're angry at them. It feels like our battle is with them. It isn't. Our battle is with, as Paul continues, against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So Paul tells us, he reminds us, that every day we wake up in a battle. It's not just any battle, it's a spiritual battle, and we have a real spiritual enemy. And that enemy's name is the devil, also known as Satan, and other fallen angels who've chosen to join Satan in his work. So God through Paul tells us to stand firm and to learn how to stand firm against those enemies. Last week we started in learning how to wear the armor of God. Paul told us how to do that in Ephesians 6:13. He said, "Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground." by putting on the belt of truth in the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, put on, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. 
Last week, we started learning how to wear God's armor of truth, the belt of truth, the body armor of righteousness, the shoes of peace that comes from knowing the good news. Today, we're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about salvation. We're going to talk about the sword of the spirit, and we're going to talk about prayer. And like I said last week, we are going to cover a whole lot of information in a short amount of time. So if you're a note taker, I recommend you take notes. You can also come back to this message again and listen to it again because we're going to cover a lot of information in a short amount of time. So in verse 16, Paul tells us, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So Satan constantly attacks us. And he shoots these uh, fiery darts or fiery arrows at us consistently, trying to defeat us in battle. And so if you would think of warfare in, in the context of the, what Paul was talking about as opposed to what we think about today. So, so back then, fiery arrows was a real weapon and it was a dangerous weapon. And if you think about how Satan attacks us today, he attacks in all kinds of ways. He attacks through doubt through division, through depression, through discouragement, through distraction, through destruction, through despair. And I'm just curious, has anybody here ever dealt with any one of those things in your life besides me? Anybody? Okay. So if you look around the world, guess what we see all over the world? The work of Satan. We see his fiery arrows happening everywhere, being launched at everyone in those ways and in other ways. So faith is our shield. And that protects us from the attacks of the enemy, but our shield can only work if our faith is in the right place. So if our faith is in our ability to fight against Satan, we're in trouble. If our faith is in God's ability to fight against Satan, then we're in the right area. So our faith has got to be in God's ability and his promises and his power and his love for us. And when our faith is in those places, then our faith can stand firm and we can stand firm. So my, my first question for all of us today is this. Is your faith in God and his abilities or in you and your abilities? Just think about that for a second and how you navigate your life how you navigate some of the complexities of your life, how you navigate maybe some of the attacks of the enemy. Is your faith in God and his abilities or is it in you and your abilities? Do you believe, really believe, in God's promises, in his power, in his love for you? Do you really think that God will protect you from any attack of the enemy that comes at any time in any form? Or do you think that maybe you're not that important for God to care about you? Or do you think, ah, maybe God's just not strong enough to protect you from the attacks of the enemy? So fighting our enemy with our shield of faith requires that we put our faith in God always. And when we do that, we can effectively stand firm against any attack that comes at us. So here's a practical way that this looks like in my life. So as a pastor, you may be surprised by this, you may not be surprised by this, but I battle attacks from the enemy all the time, consistently. 
I don't know if there's a day that goes by that I don't engage spiritual warfare with the enemy in some fashion or form. So the enemy loves to attack me through doubt. Sometimes it's through self-doubt. He, he loves to attack me through distraction. He likes to, to dangle shiny things because I like shiny things. Anybody else like shiny things? You get distracted by, oh, look at that. Wow, that's fun. Let me chase that for a little while. He likes to attack me through depression and through despair. And uh, what I'm about to tell you, uh, I am not looking for your sympathy. I'm not looking for your pity. I'm not looking for you to come up to me after the service and say, that was a really good message today, pastor. Okay, so let me just be clear. I'm not looking for that. But some of my most intense spiritual battles happen Saturday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday afternoon. Why? Because I'm about to preach. I'm about to stand up in for a group of, before a group of people and speak on God's behalf. And I don't know if you've ever felt intimidated before, but I consistently feel incredibly intimidated to speak on God's behalf. Scripture is very clear that teachers are held to a higher standard. So I stand in this spot very humbly and at times very nervously. And Satan knows that. So Satan loves to attack me in that context. So there are moments before I speak, Satan whispers in my ear, you have no business speaking on God's behalf. You're not even applying what you're about to teach. Do you remember what you did last week? Do you remember what you did this morning? You have no business talking to anybody about God's truth. Then after I speak, Satan often says, see, I told you. That wasn't good enough. You're not living what you're preaching, so you're a hypocrite. Nobody wants to listen to what you have to say. Again, I'm not looking for your sympathy or your pity. I'm just telling you how I engage spiritual battle with the enemy, how he attacks me. When I don't recognize that what's happening is a spiritual attack, I end up in a pit of despair. I end up in this spot of depression where I don't want to preach. I don't want to get up here and preach because I don't feel like I'm worthy enough to do that. I feel like too much of a hypocrite. And if I listen to too much of Satan's lies, then it might take me an extra minute to come out from behind that curtain because I'm not ready. But when I recognize what the enemy's doing, then I can do what James 4, 7 says. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So in those moments, I can come before my heavenly father and say, God, like I'm under attack right now. So I'm coming to you, the one who can defeat every attack that comes at me. I wanna believe you and your truth over the lies of the enemy. So I submit to you right now. And Satan, I resist you in your lies. I choose to believe God's truth over your lies. And when I engage spiritual warfare that way, the enemy leaves me alone for a little while. And then he comes back later another time. But I've got to consistently engage spiritual warfare in that context to not be defeated by the enemy. So again, my question for you is, is your faith in God and his abilities to stand against your enemy? Or is your faith in your ability. If it's in your ability, just like when it's in my ability, we're gonna end up in a pit of despair. 
But if our faith is in God's abilities, we'll be able to stand firm against the enemies. Now, the next piece of armor that Paul talks about is the helmet of salvation. And we've talked a lot about this in this series. We've talked a lot about it in week one. We talked a lot about it last week. So let me give you a summary of what we've learned so far. So again, in Romans 13, 11, Paul said, wake up for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. Now, the day of salvation, or salvation in general, has several different meanings. It has a present tense meaning and a future tense meaning. So the present tense meaning is the day that anyone puts their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If someone here today does that on campus or watching online, then today is your day of salvation. If you've done that in the past in your life, that was your day. Of salvation, So that'd be in the past tense for you or present tense for someone who puts their faith in Jesus today. But the future tense of that is the day that we are saved from God's eternal judgment and given eternal life. So Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27 says, each person is destined to die once. And after that comes, what's that next word? Judgment. Anybody super excited to die and face God in judgment? Like some of us can't wait for Jesus to come back, but connected to that is judgment, but not for everybody. John chapter three, verse 17, this is Jesus speaking. He says, God sent his son, which is Jesus, into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Now, like I say regularly, if we could leave this verse up for just a second, I am so grateful that this passage says anyone who believes in him. I'm so grateful it does not say anyone who behaves like him. Because if that's what Jesus said, if Jesus said, there's no judgment for anyone who behaves like me, guess what? It sucks to be us, okay? Because none of us completely behave like Jesus, myself included. But that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say the key to eternal life is behavior. Is behavior important? Sure, it's, it, it should show what you really believe. But he said, it's belief in Jesus that's important. It's belief that gains us eternal life. It's belief that brings for us no judgment. And as Paul says in Romans 8, no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So the helmet of salvation protects our minds. And the greatest battlefield in the world happens right here. Your greatest battlefield in your life happens right here. So our helmet of salvation protects our minds and it reminds us that we are saved if you're a Christ follower and that you will be saved on the day of salvation when Jesus comes back. All right, so the next piece of armor or a weapon that Paul talks about is the sword of the spirit. 
The sword of the spirit is the word of God. It's also known as the Bible. So there are different beliefs out there about the Bible, ranging from the Bible being a really good moral book, but nothing more, all the way to people who believe that the Bible is the source of absolute truth. So listen to what the apostle Paul said about the Bible. In 2 Timothy 3.16, in this letter that he wrote to Timothy, he said, all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. And that's the right living that we talked about last week. Verse 17 says, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So it's through the Bible that we can understand the thoughts of God and the desires of God and how he wants us to live. It, it's how we learn to live in a way that pleases God. And it's the most effective way for battling attacks of our enemy. And Jesus modeled that in Matthew chapter four as he engaged spiritual warfare with our real enemy called Satan. In chapter four, verse two, it says, for 40 days and 40 nights, he meaning Jesus, fasted and became hungry. And during that time, the devil came and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus said in verse four, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, as he counterattacked Satan. Verse five says, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Verse eight. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down <clears throat> and worship me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus said, get out of here. Satan, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. So powerful example of how to engage spiritual warfare with the enemy using the sword of the spirit. And there are several things that, that stand out to me from this passage. So the first thing is this, Satan attacked even Jesus. So Jesus knows what it's like to be attacked by Satan. If you feel like you're under attack by the enemy, guess what? Jesus knows what that's like. You're not alone. You're not the only one that's ever experienced that. Jesus knows what it's like to engage spiritual warfare with a real enemy who hates all of us. And the second thing that stands out to me is that every time Satan attacked Jesus with his deception, Jesus counterattacked with truth from God's word. So Satan would attack with a lie, Jesus would attack back with truth. And then Satan got crafty and he took scripture and he twisted it and he used it against Jesus in a way that I think Satan has done for a very long time against humanity. 
Satan's really good at taking scripture and using it against us. So if you think Satan doesn't know the Bible, you're incorrect. Satan knows the Bible, and he knows how to misuse the Bible. That's why it is so incredibly important for us to have an accurate understanding of scripture so we can fight effectively against our enemy, especially as he attacks us. So how are you doing at learning the Bible and using it as a weapon against our enemy who whispers his lies to us? If you're new to the Bible, you might think, well, like, where do I begin? Like, I am confused. I don't even know how to, how to start. Should I start in the beginning? This is going to sound like the weirdest thing ever. I don't recommend if you're new to start in the beginning of the Bible. Uh, you'd be great for Genesis, Exodus. You'd get into Leviticus, you'd start wondering what in the world's going on. You get into Numbers, and you might read that to fall asleep at night. So that's not exactly the spot that I would recommend. The book of John is a great place to begin. If you want to learn the Bible, you want to begin on a journey of learning the Bible, I'd recommend you start there. Here's some other ways that you can grow in your knowledge of Scripture. We have a growth group that's going to happen in April called 40 Days in the Word. And if you're new, you're not sure how the Bible's put together, you'd like to learn that so you can start learning how to navigate Scripture effectively for yourself, then I recommend as that growth group comes up, and we'll start announcing it. You sign up and you take that group. And then I've put some great resources on our spiritual growth challenge that can help us grow in scripture. And there's a copy of that in the lobby. And if you're watching online, there's a link in the comment section for that. All right, next, Paul gives us a really weird challenge. And he tells us to pray all the time and on every occasion. Then Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, never stop praying. Now, I don't know if you read that and think, how in the world is that possible? Especially if we view prayer as something that we do with our hands clasped together and our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Like, how am I supposed to go through the day like this? I'm never supposed to stop praying is what Paul says. Well, obviously, Paul didn't mean we're supposed to have our eyes closed all day long and our heads bowed and our hands clasped together because we would never be able to go anywhere or do anything. So what Paul's talking about is an ongoing conversation with God. So we should talk to God all the time. When we get up in the morning, all throughout our day with whatever we face throughout the day, when we go to bed at night, we should have a conversation with God. Um, if you're like me and you get up one or two uh, times in the, in the night to go to the bathroom, that's a wonderful time to have a conversation with God. Or those nights when you wake up and you have a moment of insomnia, that's a great opportunity to spend some time praying. So we should talk to God when things are going well, when things aren't going well, when, to, when we're under attack, all the time. And when you think about prayer and spiritual warfare, prayer involves us talking to the one who's all-powerful and who knows every strategy of the enemy and how the enemy is lying to us. And it's an invitation to that creator to step into our battle and fight for us. So that's what prayer is about. And it's a great opportunity for us to engage our enemy. And when you combine that with scripture, you've got a powerful weapon that'll fight against the enemy. But here's a problem that many Christ followers have, myself included at times. There are times that if we pray, when we pray is 
right before we eat or maybe when we're desperate. And I don't want to see a raise of hands because that would convict all of us if that's the level of our prayer. But sometimes that's kind of the most prominent moments when we pray. God, would you please bless this donut and make it super nutritious for me and, and make me healthy, wealthy, and wise because I just ate this junk food. So sometimes that's when we pray. Now, other times we pray when we're desperate. And here's the funny thing. The funny thing is we all pray, whether you're a Christ follower or not, we all pray. If you're not a Christ follower, I guarantee you there's a moment you hit a crisis in your life and you say, God, if you're real, would you please help me? We all pray. But God wants to hear from us more than just when we want him to bless our food and when we're desperate. He wants to hear from us all the time. So if you're a Christ follower, how are you doing at talking to God all the time? Not just at certain times, not just right before a meal, not when you're desperate, but all the time. Sometimes I do a really good job of praying all throughout the day. Other times, prayer is the last thing I think to do. And in those moments, uh, I'll be talking to Tammy, my wife, about something. I'll be complaining, mumbling, and grumbling about something going on in my world. And, and she'll ask a very convicting question, and she'll say, have you prayed about it? And there are too many moments where my honest answer is, no, I have not. And you should probably be the pastor of our church, not me, <laughs> because that's the last thing I think of. But that's convicting to me, and it should be convicting to all of us. Prayer should be the first thing that we do, not the last thing that we do. Again, God wants to hear from us all the time. If you're new to prayer, I put some other resources on our spiritual growth challenge that can help us learn in how to pray. And I recommend you pick that up before you leave. All right. Another spiritual habit that complements prayer so well is the spiritual discipline of fasting. And if you're new to biblical fasting, it involves giving up food or an activity in some amount for a specific period of time for spiritual reasons. And if you're new and you're thinking, man, I've heard about fasting and I would love to learn more about fasting, you are in luck because tomorrow we start a church-wide fast. Every year in the life of our church, we do a fast together and we've done this for 14 years now. And so this year, our fast starts tomorrow and it runs to February the 4th, which is next Sunday. So next Sunday, we're going to end our fast together. Next Sunday evening, we're going to have a worship and communion service here. We'll have our normal services in the morning, but then that evening, we're going to have our worship and communion services. We will officially end our time of fasting together. And if you would like to join us, I encourage you, I challenge you, I double dog dare you to be a part of this with us. It's an amazing spiritual discipline that's been around for a very long time. And if you are in the middle of spiritual warfare right now, fasting and prayer are two amazing disciplines to engage. Jesus modeled that for us. If you wanna learn more about that, you can scan our QR code and that'll take you to a fasting guide that we have. And that'll tell you a little bit more about fasting, what you can fast from, what you can fast for, the different types of fasts that are out there. It'll tell you all kinds of things about fasting and how to be prepared for it, how to walk through it. And you don't have to know everything about fasting to engage it. You just have to take a step. You just have to start. And like we've been doing over the past 14 years, we've been learning together how to fast 
And we're taking baby steps in that direction of learning how to make that a regular part of our lives. So here's what I encourage you to do while you fast. First, set aside some time to talk to God every day about what you're fasting for and what you're fasting from. So spend a little time every day just having a conversation with God. And then I encourage you to write down what God is is saying to you, what God is doing in you, what God is doing through you. And we have a Bible reading plan on our church page at the YouVersion Bible app. I recommend you get that. And you follow along with our reading plan. That's where God speaks to us is through his word. So you write down what God is saying to you and then tell us about that. And you can do that in several ways. You can email us at prayer at theepicchurch.com or you can come next Sunday evening and just be ready to tell somebody about what God is doing in you and through you during our time of fasting together. Now, we've fasted for 14 years, like I've said. For some people who fasted with us as a church, they've seen God do amazing things in them and through them. There have been life-changing moments that have happened because of fasting. For other people, and at other times, people wouldn't say, hey, something earth-shattering happened, but it was more a practice in discipline of being faithful to God, staying focused on our prayers, and engaging spiritual warfare. So either way, God is at work, strengthening us or working in us and through us. And again, I encourage you to come next week so that we can end our fast together and hear what God is doing. Now, I know we've covered a lot of information today, and I encourage you to pick up our spiritual growth challenge before you leave. But as we close, I just want to talk to a few of you right now who might feel like you are in the heat of a spiritual battle. Some of you are in that right now, and everywhere you turn, you feel like you're surrounded by the enemy. Like when you go to work, you feel like you get attacked. When you come home, you feel like you're attacked. Maybe when you go to school, maybe when you see friends, regardless of wherever you go, maybe you feel like every turn you make, you bump into some attack from the enemy. And maybe you feel like it's hopeless. You're surrounded. If you feel that way, you're not the only one who's ever felt that way. A lot of people have felt surrounded before. There's actually an Old Testament story about a guy who felt surrounded. And it was the Old Testament prophet Elisha's servant. And the Arminian army hated the Old Testament prophet Elisha. And they went to find him to kill him. So they found him. They surrounded him and his servant. And when a servant saw that there was this army, a real army out there, and they were prepared to kill them, he thought it's over. But the Old Testament prophet Elijah said this in 2 Kings 6, 16. He said, don't be afraid for there are more on our side than on theirs. And Elisha prayed that God would open the eyes of his servant and let him see. And when his servant opened his eyes, he saw that they were surrounded by the armies of heaven and protected. So if you're a Christ follower, guess what? I think that applies to you as well. You're a Christ follower? You are loved, you are protected, you are surrounded by the king of all kings. You're surrounded by him and his armies. And he loves you. He will protect you, he will defend you, he will fight for you. 
And we need to learn how to lean into him and have that perspective that the Old Testament prophet Elisha had to see there really are more on our side than there are on that side. And we can stand firm as we fight against the enemy when we have that perspective. So as we close, I encourage you to talk to God about the battle that you're in. Ask him to strengthen you. Ask him to help you wear the armor that he provides you. And if you need prayer today, I encourage you to stop by our care table before you leave. We have some people there that would love to pray with you. If you're watching online, just email us at prayer at theepicchurch.com and we'd love to pray with you and do anything that we can to help you in your spiritual journey right now. So if you would, stand with me. Let's pray and then let's sing. God, I'm so grateful for the truth of Scripture. Lord, the, the truth that says that, that you love us, you protect us, you empower us, you've provided for us armor. And Jesus, you modeled for us how to fight against a real enemy that we all have, how to engage battle with Satan in a very effective way. When we put on your armor, when we wear that, when we engage that, when we turn to you for help, Lord, we're able to stand firm against the enemy. But when we run into battle with our own strength, we get beaten up. We get stuck in pits of, of despair and, and depression. So, so Lord, help us to put on our armor every day. God, help us to have Elisha's perspective that we are surrounded by you, by the armies of heaven, that you will see us through any battle that we engage, that there's nothing that the enemy can do to us that'll be too great for you and your power and your strength when we rely on you. So right now, some people feel they're surrounded by the enemy. But Lord, I pray that they would be reminded today that we are surrounded by you, your love, your power, and your angels. In Jesus' name.